Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. During the season of Epiphany, we're pretty much following the lectionary, which is taking us through the early portion of the ministry of Jesus. And when Jesus began his public ministry in Galilee around the age of 30, the thing that drew the crowds and spread his fame was that he was a healer. John the Baptist was famous as a preacher and baptizer. But Jesus was first of all famous as a healer and miracle worker. From the curing of Peter's mother-in-law of her high fever in Capernaum at the beginning of his ministry, all the way to the restoring of the severed ear of Malchus in the garden of Gethsemane at the end of his ministry, Jesus was a healer. When we look at the ministry of Jesus, we can truly say, hence comes the healer. The third gospel is given to us by Luke, the physician. Dr. Luke gives us the third gospel. And Luke, the physician evangelist, introduces Jesus as the healer in his gospel like this. The first time we see Jesus curing someone, he's in the synagogue in Capernaum and there's a man that's afflicted with an unclean spirit and Jesus casts it out. Then they go from the synagogue to Peter's house, which is just, just right down the way. It takes you one minute to walk from one to the other. And they get to Peter's house And Peter's mother-in-law is suffering from a high fever and Jesus touches her and heals her. And then as soon as the sun sets on that Sabbath day, that means Sabbath is over, everybody in town that was sick or had someone that was sick or they could care, they just brought everybody that was unwell to the door of Peter's house where Jesus was and he healed them all. See, he just, he just, he, then, then Jesus starts traveling around and um, he encounters in this one village, a man who said he's leper, he had leprosy. He said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, well, hot dog, I'm willing. That's in the Greek, hot dog, I'm willing. And uh, he healed him. And then people started coming from every village in Galilee to be cured of it. This is the word got out. And they weren't waiting for Jesus to come to them. They would find out where he was and they would go to him to be healed. That's why they came. Then he got back to Capernaum. He'd been gone on this ministry tour. Lots of healing. And he got back and the whole town came and they filled the house again. And people couldn't even get in. It was was packed. And well, there was this one guy in town that was paralyzed And he had four friends, you know, it's good to have friends. And they carried this paralyzed friend to Jesus, to the house, and they couldn't get in. And so they're not going to be deterred. They climbed up on the roof, dismantled the roof, 
lowered him right down. You know, they had to, they had to figure all that out. You know, it's all right. No, three more feet to the, okay. Let's, all right, here. And they, they lower him down right in front of Jesus and Jesus heals him. Then Jesus was in another synagogue after that and there was a man with a withered hand and, and Jesus healed that man. And eventually we're told that Jesus could no longer enter a town publicly because he would be absolutely thronged. And by the time we then get to our text here in Luke 6, I mean, this is, this is just in the first few chapters. By the time we get to Luke 6, uh, people are coming from very far away, from Jerusalem and Judea and then all the way up north from Tyre and Sidon. They're coming to hear Jesus and to be healed by him. He came down with them and healed all of them. Hence comes the healer. He came down with them. Well, he, he came down from them. He was up on the mountain. He was up on the mountain with his disciples and then he came down the mountain to where the people were and he healed them. Hence comes the healer. But it's more than just he came down the mountain. He came down from heaven. See, we were, we were sick. And he came down from heaven. Hence comes the healer. He came down to heal us. In his late night conversation with Nicodemus, remember that? Nicodemus was, was a famous teacher, rabbi in the Pharisee movement. And uh, Nicodemus wasn't one of the, he wasn't one of the bad Pharisees, it seems like. He was sincere, he was genuine. He was very learned in the scriptures. And, and he knew, even though there were people around him saying that Jesus fella, he's doing what he does by the devil. Um, Nicodemus knew better and, and he, it was the signs. It was the healing. The primary sign that Jesus gave was healing people. And so Nicodemus comes to see him at night, privately, clandestinely. Nicodemus comes to see Jesus. And there's that conversation going. That's the born again passage. Come on, Nicodemus. You've got to rethink everything. You've, you've got to just take it from the top. You've got to be born again or you won't even see this kingdom. And they're having this conversation, and this is how Jesus somewhat cryptically um, describes his mission, speaking of himself as the son of man in the third person. This is how Jesus explains to Nicodemus what he's doing as he's healing people and announcing the kingdom of God. Jesus says to Nicodemus, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. All right, so Jesus is effectively saying to Nicodemus, I'm like that serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness. And some of you are going, uh, refresh me on that one. Okay. So the Israelites, they're in their 40 years, their long trek through the wilderness. And they get impatient. And when they get impatient, they grumble. And they grumble about Moses and they grumble about God. Well, they were in that phase. They were grumbling about everything. And poisonous snakes, the worst, poisonous snakes 
come into the camp. They have an infestation of poisonous snakes. It doesn't get any worse than that, folks. And people are being bitten and many people are dying from these venomous snake bites. And so the people said, well, uh, we're going to quit grumbling and we're going to pray. In fact, I don't know if God's going to listen. Moses, pray to God. Pray to God for us. Moses, all right, pray to God for you. And God told Moses, okay, here's what you do, Moses. Make a bronze replica of these snakes that are coming and biting people. Make a bronze serpent, a bronze replica of one of these snakes. And then put it on a pole and lift it up. And what will happen is people who've been bit can look at the bronze serpent on the pole lifted up and they'll be healed. And you might be thinking to yourself, how does that work? I don't know. That's what God said to do. And so we read in Numbers 21, so Moses made a serpent of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a serpent could look at the bronze serpent and be healed. Okay, this is what Jesus is referring to when he's talking to the scripture Torah scholar Nicodemus. He is saying, I'm like that bronze serpent. Lift it up. And when I'm lifted up, I'm going to heal everybody. Of course, lifted up was a euphemism for crucifixion. Crucifixion was so abhorrent that people wouldn't speak of it directly. They would use euphemisms and they would say, oh, he was lifted up. And Jesus is saying, the son of man is going to be lifted up in crucifixion. And in being lifted up in crucifixion, he will bring healing or I will bring healing to the world. We get obsessed with trying to figure out everything. How's that work? Look, look, just look at it and believe. I don't know how it works. I don't even know how aspirin works. Who cares? Just look and believe. There's the healer lifted up. I mean, you can, you can, we can unpack it a little bit. I don't really feel the need to too much, but okay. So the, the serpents came into the camp when they were sinning. So the serpent is connected to their sin and then they have a replica of their sin and they look at it. And so, but, but Jesus, when we see Jesus crucified, we see a replica of our sin. That's, that's humanity at its worst. What's the, worst, what's the worst sin? Murder. Well, there's different kinds of murder. What's the worst form of murder? Well, there's patricide, killing your father. That's terrible. Uh, fratricide, killing your brother. How about deicide, killing God? Okay, that's our, that's our worst sin, but it's also the moment where Jesus absorbs all the sin and forgives it. So maybe it's something like that. But here, I'll show you a, a Byzantine icon. Byzantine icons always uh, look like that. And if you'll notice, in all of these Byzantine icons, remember, these are not just artists, these are artistic theologians create this. They're not trying to do something artistic as much as they're trying to do something theological. And in all of the Byzantine crucifixion icons, Jesus is never straight. He's always bent, curved. I said, can you guess what they're doing there? In these icons, there's nothing there. There's never anything in them accidentally. 
It's always, it's to connect it with the serpent lifted up in the wilderness in Numbers 21 that Jesus used to explain to Nicodemus that when he is lifted up, he's going to bring salvation, healing, eternal life to the world. And so we look and we live. We look and we say, that's my salvation. How does it work? I don't know exactly. I have some ideas, but I just look and let the healing come. Hence comes the healer. Jesus comes down from heaven to heal the world, and that's good news because we're all sick. Sin is a disease of the soul. I think I talked about this recently, maybe even last Sunday, I can't remember. There's some, there some versions of Christian that are loath to refer to themselves as a sinner for various reasons. I actually find great comfort in having a diagnosis. Oh, at least we know what the problem is. Ha, I'm a sinner. But we don't, we don't end there. There's treatment. We can go to the one that can heal us. Hence comes the healer because that's what we need. We're too prone to think of our predicament when we think about salvation. We're, we're too prone to think of our predicament as primarily legal. That we're under a guilty verdict. And so then we try to think of Jesus as an advocate, an attorney, a lawyer who can get us an exoneration. There is some language like that in the New Testament. Not much, a little bit. But there's way more about healing way more. Jesus really isn't a lawyer, but he really is a healer. He is the great physician. See, it's, it's not our status that needs saved. You know, get moved from guilty to not guilty. That's nice, but, but that doesn't, that's a stat. That's, that's extraneous to ourself. What we need is for our own soul to be saved, healed, Cured. That's what we need. And yes, Jesus healed physical disease. Lepers and blind people and those that were lame. On and on we go. Jesus healed people of, of physical maladies. And he still does. Jesus still does. Now, it's, it's mysterious and it's more rare than we would like. In the end, all die but then all are gonna be healed too. Yet there are stories, contemporary stories of healing. I have one. I've been, I don't know what, I've been reminiscing lately. I, maybe that's an age thing. I think it, no, it's just a particular period. I think, I think hitting the 40 years of leading this church, it gave me a moment to reflect. And I've been really remembering the Jesus movement, Donna. Where are, there you are. I just, I don't know, I've just been sort of, I, 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 this is the way I think. My, 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 my thinking process is I fixate on something for a while. And I've just been remembering those days in the 70s of the Jesus movement. And like every movement, they had its excesses or problems or blind spots. But all in all, you know, in the early days, it was good. It was aptly named. It was about Jesus. And Jesus 
captured me. And I knew, I don't, I have no testimony of being called to the ministry, as we say. It all happened in a flash the night I met Jesus, November 9th, 1974. I mean, I knew I had encountered Christ. I knew I was what we call saved or whatever that was, although I didn't use that term then because I couldn't, that really wasn't. I just knew that my world had changed and that this would be my life. That in whatever way, my life would be about talking about Jesus. (laughs) And as I graduated from high school, then I knew that, okay, I'm really, this, is what, this is my life. I'm preach, have a church, do that stuff. And so I'd graduated from high school. It was 1977. I was 18 years old. And in June of 1977, I felt ill. You know, so what? People get sick. Yeah, I was sick. For a few days, but then for a week, and then for a couple of weeks, and it wasn't going away. So I'm hauled off to the doctor a couple times. And they're doing blood tests and all that. Now remember, I'm just out of high school. I'm looking forward. What are you going to do with your life, BZ? I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus, build a church, do stuff like that. And at age 18, in June of 1977, I had the experience of my doctor, Dr. Baker, family physician, tell me, that I had acute leukemia with six weeks to live. That came as a blow. The strangest thing about it was that how it wasn't, I don't know how it, I mean, it was, it wasn't like dying would be such a bad thing. It was not getting to live. <laughs> it was like, well, I thought I was going to do all this stuff. I thought I was going to do all this stuff. I can't do it in six weeks, especially if I'm sick. And so I was bemused by that. That evening, I was lying in my bed. I had my Bible nearby because my Bible was always nearby. And I thought, you know, this is a blow and I need to pray. And I thought, oh, I'll pray one of the Psalms. See, Perry preached on that three weeks ago. I knew even way back then to pray the Psalms. And so I, just, I took my Bible and I just sort of is that, you know, this works like once in a lifetime, really. I, I just went and read, I don't know why I went to Psalm 118, no particular reason. No rhyme or reason, I went to Psalm, I just started praying Psalm 118. And it's just kind of a psalm, it's just a regular psalm. It's just a psalm that you might pray, you know, it just sounds like a psalm until you get to verse 17 and you're 18 years old and you've been told you have acute leukemia with six weeks to live and you read the 17th verse and it says, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Oh, see, that'll get your attention. Oh, wow. And I, here's what I, I took my finger and I just tapped it. I'm lying in bed and I just tapped it. And I said, I said it out loud. I said, that's me. I shall not die but live declare the works of the Lord. And I believed it. I really did. And I just went to sleep at peace. The next day, my girlfriend came to see me, one Perry Bachman. (laughs) We've been going together for the longest time. Perry came to see me. They'd given her the news. She walked in the room and she was crying. That's tender. She was crying, 
And I said to her, Perry, why are you crying? I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. You say, what happened? Well, I'm here. Um, And I'm declaring the works of the Lord. I don't know what happened. It just, it didn't, like, I wasn't like healed, like, take up my bed and walk. It was, I just didn't get any worse. And then I got, and I was weak and sickly all summer. But then I wasn't. And it just took, it was a long, real slow recovery. Someone said, well, maybe it was a misdiagnosis. Well, obviously. <laughs> My boast is in the Lord. I tell that story just, I'm always a little hesitant because it's fairly sensational and I don't want to set that forth as just completely normative and everybody's experience. On the other hand, I do want to now and then make my boast in the Lord and say thank you Jesus Luke 6 19 and all in the crowd were trying to touch him for power came out from him and healed all of them don't you wish you could touch Jesus don't you see you know they they came, they came from far away. They came from way up Tyronside and way down Judea. They came and they're just trying to touch him. And if they succeeded, whoever touched him, they got healed. Don't you wish you could touch him? Well, that's, that's what this is. body of Christ broken for you blood of Christ shed for you it's a sacrament sacraments are rites that become portals that enable us to encounter the sacred they're sacred mysteries but they're not just they, they, they draw us into the mysterious realm of touching God. Christianity is not just a religion of abstract theological ideas. It is sacramental in nature. To practice the Christian faith, you need water so we can baptize people. Did we baptize people last Sunday or two Sundays ago? Two Sundays ago, I think. We have to have water up there in that baptistry. We have to have bread and wine to practice the faith. And sometimes we have oil. I just anointed Torin with oil as a dedication. And there's the anointing with oil for the purpose of healing. Book of James says... Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders, the pastors of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will heal the sick and the Lord will raise them up and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. 
It's a mystery. I don't have it all figured out. People aren't always healed the way we would like to see them healed. But sometimes healing happens the way we would like to see it happen. And it's one of the sacramental practices of the church. We baptize, we take communion, and we can anoint with oil in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Be healed. See, I believe in those sorts of things. Again, I, I'm not, it's mysterious. I don't have a formula that you press the right buttons and out, out pops exactly what you're, but still. I want to touch Jesus in the bread and wine. I want Jesus to touch me in the anointing oil and bring healing into my life. Spirit, soul, and body. Amen? Stand up with me. So we're going to have communion, as we always do, of course. We'll receive communion. And in preparation for that, in just a moment, we'll confess our Christian faith and confess our sins and receive forgiveness for our sins. And you'll come and receive, uh, you know. I mean, maybe we have new people. Here's how we do it, you know. You, you, there'll be teams of people down here. Some will have the bread and they'll say, the body of Christ broken for you. It is. Take a piece of that bread. Someone will have a cup, say, the blood of Christ shed for you, it is. Dip the bread in the cup and touch the Lord, receive the Lord. That's what we do. And everybody's, everybody, everybody's invited. Everybody. Everyone is welcome. Everyone. But today, along with that, uh, Perry and I will be over on this side, kind of far end side of the sanctuary. Pastor Derek will be over here on this side and we'll have oil and those of you that would like to be anointed for healing uh, will do that this morning. Amen? Amen? All right, let's confess our Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now join with me in confessing our sins and receiving the Lord's forgiveness. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins because he's for you. God is gracious to all who in humility confess their sins because God is for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. 
And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want to touch him should touch him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.